Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you and praise you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Father, I just pray the presence of your Holy Spirit here today. We desire it every time. We desire it always. Not just during this message, not just during service, but always. You promised your comforter. You promised the partnership that is required in even knowing you and understanding you. So we ask for him. Because we know and we believe that he only speaks what you place in his mouth. And he will always lift up your son, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Redeemer, our Savior, our friend. Father, I ask that you fill my mouth with your words and none of my own. I give my lips to you. I give my thoughts to you. My heart is yours. I speak that for the sake of those who hear. For you already know that my heart is yours. Speak to us this morning. You know what we need You know what your bride needs. You have purpose in everything. We ask for your purpose to be on display here this morning. And Father, lastly, I ask as you have already sent out your Holy Spirit to prepare hearts. Continue doing that, certainly for those here but for all of those that are listening online and will be listening online, prepare their hearts to hear you, to hear your truth, nothing else. Father, we love you, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Do you know that there is a trap that Satan sets for the bride, for all humans for that matter, all the humans that would learn about who Christ is, want to follow him as Savior, even receiving him into their heart as Savior. There's a trap that is set, and it's it's just impressed on me so heavily and, and I, I just see it playing out every single day, this idea of understanding knowledge versus knowing the Lord. There are two very different things. It's not that knowledge is bad. Knowledge is good. But it must be applied in relationship. It must be applied in what the Bible says, the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. Right? We're not to read the Bible as some history book 
to just understand some events that happened. We're to read the Bible praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit to show us truth. Right? Real worshipers worship Him in spirit and in truth. Can't be one or the other. First of all, understand the truth is not just the words written on a page. Not just the words that were written that God has said. But truth is Jesus Christ himself. It says so in John 1.1. 1, 1. Right? He is the truth. He is the light. No one comes unto the Father but through Him. No one understands the Father, having knowledge of the Father, except through Him. And in the power of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we can then go and we can ask for that understanding. I don't know about you, history in school was my favorite subject. If I could say I had a favorite subject. <laughs> Didn't like school much, but, but I enjoyed the social aspects of it. But I loved history. I loved going back and, and learning and understanding how people were in history. And, and yes, yes, history even of the United States, and so that's just a few hundred years. What I really loved was ancient history. And what was extraordinary to me is how people thought at different points in time based on technology. Right? We, and if, if you grew up like me, you know, I have, I've studied the Word of God most of my life. I've taught the Word of God for over 30 years. I understand intellectually the Word of God. And, and for years, you'll, you'll understand this because I heard this from preachers for years. I preached it myself for years that, that the understanding that John had in the book of Revelation when he was taken up to the third heaven. And, and by the way, this was not a vision. Book of Revelation was not a vision. So many people say it was a vision. They're incorrect. He was taken there. He was taken there and he was shown what was about to happen. So it wasn't just vision. He was literally shown it. He was experiencing it. He felt the awe of what it was. And in my vast training (laughs) of the Word of God, I came to the conclusion that, well, because of technology, he couldn't understand what he was seeing. He couldn't understand that this was really a helicopter. That instead of spitting out and biting, it's shooting guns or it's shooting a missile. You've all heard these. Where they take the word of God, they take prophecy, and they try to fit it into a paradigm that we understand. Completely absent of the Holy Spirit. Completely absent of the understanding of His realm versus our realm. See, if you, I, I want to encourage you. Go through the book of Revelation with a different paradigm. Go through the book of Revelation assuming John saw exactly what he saw. That he understood exactly what he understood. Begin there. 
and then say, Lord, send your Holy Spirit and show me. Show me truth. Show me what this means. These locusts that seem to sting like like a scorpion. That's kind of weird, right? But rather than brushing those things off as metaphoric immediately, take a different direction and say, Lord, show me what I'm missing. Show me the truth of what you're saying. And and by the way, that's not just revelation. That is the entire word of God. If we don't have the Holy Spirit interpreting us the Word of God and what He means, then we fall into the same trap, or there is the the possibility of falling into the same trap that the Pharisees and Sadducees did. When He said, if you do not eat of my flesh or drink of my blood, you can have no part in me. If you don't have the Holy Spirit telling you what that means... There's your verse for cannibalism right there. And that's a big problem. But that's not what it meant. That's not what it meant at all. Now, now time is a beautiful teller of truth. Right? We live 2,000 years later, and we are subject to the understanding of time. We can say, well, of course that's not what he meant. Of course they weren't to take a bite of his arm and drink his blood. That's not what he meant at all. He meant this little grape juice thing that's in a little cup, and you drink that and you eat this wafer that tastes like plastic. That's what he really meant. See, time tells us the difference there, right? Problem is, if that's what you think, if you are basing it on your understanding of of what has happened in history, you still miss it. If you don't connect through the Holy Spirit and the power of Him speaking to you over His Word, then you still miss it. You still miss the fact that what communion really is, is literally the playing out of its name. Communion. It is connection with Him. It is that very relationship that He calls for in each one of us. The reason we were created in the first place, what was taken away when Adam sinned and gave away the title deed to this earth. That communion was taken away. See, so in that, we understand from the power of the Holy Spirit that when I take of this juice or I take of this wine and I take of this wafer, I am remembering. I'm remembering his part of of the relationship that has a need for me to uphold my part. See, if you look at that only through the eyes of knowledge... You say, well, okay, once a month, I need to do this little thing that makes me remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And and by the way, there is benefit to that. I'm not saying there's not. But if that's all you get, oh my goodness. You're, You're missing out on so much more. 
Because it is the cry out of his heart for communion with you. That's what he died for. Why in the world would he want to die just so you could remember that he died? Just so you could remember that he sacrificed for you? I mean, that's, that's great for you. That's great for me. But what about him? What's in it for him? What he wants in this is relationship. What he wants is that communion back and forth. And you do not get that from knowledge. Knowledge can begin to open a door. But if you don't walk through that door with the power of the Holy Spirit to understand what he is teaching you, you are missing out on 95% of what he has for you. That's just the truth. So this trap that that Satan has is a trap I fell into for years. See, I was intrigued with the Word of God, especially enjoying history. I loved to get into the Old Testament. I loved to get into prophecy. I loved to get into things when something was prophetically stated and then it it came true. I loved that. Still do. But if I only, which I did for 40 years of my saved life, if I only look at this as something, some point of information that I learn and apply it to my life in a principle, then the effect is very small compared to what he really wants. And it's the same for you. When you're absorbing the word of God, he wants you to absorb it like he's sitting right there with you. Not like he's an element of the past of something that happened in history or something that's going to happen in the future. Almost like we're in a waiting period, this thing called life. Well, we're just here in this waiting period, waiting till, till we get to go and we get to be with him. So that's our future. And, and we believe and we understand this past that we can understand in the Word of God. So, so in this waiting period, we just got to live right. We just got to do step A, B, C, D, and E. So that way we can live a good enough life to where we don't have as much pain here. Because then one day we get to be with Him. I, I, I'm telling you, that's how I thought. For 40 years. That's how I thought. And, and I know that that is not just me. I think it is probably many in the bride who think that way. And, and I don't say that condemningly. I say that from the other side. That it's so much better on the other side. It's so much better in understanding that he wants that relationship now. He wants it here. You all, and, and by the way, I know I use the term relationship a lot. Like said to me yesterday, well, maybe we'd come up with a different word. So, so maybe people won't shut off when I say relationship. I don't know. If you think of a better word, let me know. But I beg you, don't shut me off. 
don't shut me off those that are here that have that relationship. Because even that, even what God has opened for you in relationship can be shut off. He won't shut it off. We do. And we shut it off with this valve that we call control. Right? You ever, you ever shut off water? Like, it's, it's wintertime, wintertime now, so you've got to shut off all your outside spigots so they don't break and leak and have a problem. You, you, like, you like shut this valve off so nothing flows. Think of that valve in this case as control. We want control of our, lo- our own lives, so we start turning the knob. We start turning the knob because, oh, wow, he, I, I felt so clearly he wanted me to go talk to this person about Jesus, and I don't even know them. In fact, they look really mean. You know, here, here I am, and obviously I'm not speaking of myself, but here I am, this, this petite little girl, And Lord, you want me to talk to this guy who's 6'8", 260 pounds, and looks like he eats children for breakfast. You want me to go say something to him? Turn that valve just a little bit. If you turn it enough, then you will realize or think in your own mind, oh no, that's not really what he's saying. You couldn't actually have me go do that. He wouldn't have me do that. He'll, he'll pick someone like Greg, who's 6'5", and I won't say my weight. Less than what you think, though. <laughs> he'll pick him. He'll pick someone like him, because when this guy gets mad and gets angry, then, then, then you know, Greg can maybe defend himself or at least you know, run away. He would never pick me. Problem is, if the Holy Spirit is not speaking through someone else to do what the Lord said, there is no power in that speech. There was power in David's speech when he went up against Goliath. It wasn't just in his accuracy of slinging a stone. It just wasn't. It was in his authority. David, I know... He was not a big guy. He was a warrior. One of the most amazing warrior leaders in the Bible, period. And yet, he was, he was small. To put him up against Goliath, who was over nine feet, was like insane. Even Saul's armor, which we know how tall, I think, I think tall, uh, Saul was six foot, if I remember correctly, or right around there. So for it to hang on David, David had to be much smaller. And to put him up against Goliath makes no sense. But God. (laughs) But God. See, in the fields where David was with his sheep, he wasn't just pulling out the scrolls to learn about the precepts of the law. Now he said, I love your law. Wasn't that he didn't learn it. But it went so much further with David. How do I know this? Because his life displayed it. 
When you are called to do something out of your comfort zone that David was called to do, this thing keeps falling down. That David keeps, or David was called to do, if it weren't for the fact that he had relationship with his Lord, he would have talked himself out of it. Yeah, I have brothers, they could deal with that. The the whole army's there. They're, They're all bigger than me. They could deal with that. But no, if you read in that passage, David was offended. He was offended because they spoke against, and specifically Goliath spoke against his Lord. He was offended. So there was no fear in him. This power did not come because he knew the Ten Commandments. This power did not come because he knew his God at arm's length. Because he had read about him and knew about him. No, he had built relationship with him. I I don't know what else you'd do being a shepherd. I mean, you're sitting there for hours. You know, he didn't have a Game Boy. Those are old, aren't they? Okay. (laughs) He didn't even have a Game Boy. He didn't have anything electronic. He didn't have any... uh, Maybe he could have picked up a stick and grew in the dirt. I don't know. But he chose the best thing. And the best thing was speaking to God. We know that because when he was telling Saul that I can do this, he shared times that he had spent with God and God conquered through him. The lion, the bear. I don't know about you, but that's pretty impressive to go. I don't know which one would be harder. If I had to choose between the two, I'm not sure which I'd want to go up against. A bear or a lion. Especially if I was, I don't know, five foot five, whatever. I I don't know which one. But it didn't matter to him. Because he knew that those sheep were not the enemies. They were his to care for. And he believed in whom he had relationship with. And he said, this Goliath, he's no different. See, the trap that Satan sets for us is learning this book and living our lives simply according to the precepts of this book. Instead of letting the Holy Spirit breathe through this book. See, because when we let him breathe through this book in our lives, something happens that's really difficult. And it's why we don't do it. We become accountable. We're put in a place where all of a sudden we have a choice to believe or not, to obey or not. When the Holy Spirit speaks, do we believe it's him or not? Do we believe he could even speak? These are all things that place us into a place of accountability. And and I know the Lord, I I kind of started with it, but the Lord wants us to continue in Ephesians today. So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. 
And we're at the second half. I'm going to start at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul is talking, obviously, about the church at Ephesus. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, by the way, before we go to verse 17, I want to point something out that maybe you can research a little later, but it's, it's such, a, such an amazing point here. This is the church at Ephesus that Paul is talking about their passion. He's heard of it. In fact, heard of it so much that he keeps them in his prayers. That's what he just said. But I want to point something out to you that you could go read, and that's Revelation chapter 2. I believe, hold on, I believe it's the beginning of 2. Yeah, I'm not going to go into it right now, but, but later in your study, go ahead and read Revelation 2 verses 1 to verse 7, which is the letter to the church at Ephesus. And they had lost their passion. They had lost their first love. So, what Paul is commending here right now, if not stewarded properly, can be lost. Your passion for Jesus Christ If you do not steward your passion for Jesus Christ well, it can be lost. How do you steward it? By letting him feed you. By consuming his word. Asking for the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak through his word so you're not just learning precepts, but you're learning him. Verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's actually a lot in that verse. There's a lot in that verse. That He may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. He didn't say here, I just pray that God will give you the knowledge of him. I pray for that every day. Why wouldn't Paul pray for that? Because it didn't do any good for him. He was one of the most learned Pharisees. He was learned in all the principles of the law. And yet he didn't understand relationship even a little bit. So much so that he wanted to kill those who did. So do you see what I'm saying? We know Paul, we know according to his word that he didn't hate God. Paul was not a hater of God. He loved God. That's why it rocked him so hard when Jesus came before him and said, what are you doing? The very one you are trying to fight against is the one who loved you and died on the cross for you. The Messiah that was promised. But yet Paul, he had all the knowledge in the world. 
He knew the law. He knew every little bit about it. He was taught by the best of the best. The problem is that there was pride there in that learning. He was learning for his own advancement. He was learning for the sake of knowledge, not the sake of relationship. So, so Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus, I am praying that the Father give you the Spirit. Okay, that is the vehicle in which this comes. Do you understand that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the vehicle, the process in which all things come from God to man. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that? So this vehicle entwined in his wisdom, not just human wisdom. See, I can have human smarts. I can have human common sense. Common sense tells me that I should not go jump off a cliff. Right? But what if the Holy <laughs> right? You laugh because I have, right? Yeah. But see, if the Holy Spirit is telling me to go do this thing that is a human impossibility because He wants to do something through me, if I am not hearing through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and I am only listening to precepts of wisdom, I get two different stories. Does that make sense? Because, see, if the Holy Spirit tells me, go jump off that cliff, guess what? I'm going to go jump off that cliff. <coughs> Why? Why in the world would somebody do that? Because of love. Because of love. See, it doesn't matter the outcome. It matters the faith. It matters what we're told. Because it is all about love. Because Jesus is not physically here. And by the way, I know we wish he was. And one day he will be again. But do you understand that because he is not, we've been given such an amazing, amazing gift. When he left, he said, the Father is sending the Comforter. See, the Comforter allows us to each have Jesus close to us. We can each embrace him all over the world. It is up to us opening our arms to him because he already has his arms open to us. But it has to come through this idea of knowing him with wisdom through the Holy Spirit. And then the next part, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What does that mean? Basically, revelation is things that we don't know, things to come. And this is where so much of the bride 
gets separated. For two reasons, by the way. It's again that control valve, shutting it down a little bit because, well, this whole prophecy thing kind of got out of hand. You know, there were people that took it and ran with it, and look what happened. It was bad. And by the way, that's true. That's true. Because if we, if we manipulate his giftings to serve us and to serve that control valve, then it will never be him. It may seem like portions of him, but the truth of it is it's only him when it is purely him. And the eyes are not on people. So this revelation that is given is given through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not given because we can research somewhere back in the Old Testament and it's, God said this or God said that and that's how it applies. And do, do you understand what I'm saying? That when we apply simple knowledge and that's it, we will go down a very different road than if we are applying that knowledge through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is commending them for this. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. See, he's saying here that these are just extraordinary verses. Through this, he's trying to show us how incredible we are to him. How much he loves us. In fact, so much so, he said, I want your eyes of your heart to be opened up, to be enlightened, to see how much I love you. That's why he gives the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So we would have our hearts understanding his love. By the way, understanding his love and how he feels about you, that's the beginning to relationship. That's the beginning to any human relationship. Right? Lex and I started developing a relationship and it got closer and closer and closer the more I recognized how she felt about me, and vice versa. It's no different with the Lord, except His love doesn't change. His love is there in full automatically. Ours is the one that has to learn. We have to learn who we are in Christ. We have to learn how much we are loved by Him. That is the beginning of relationship. You cannot have relationship with Him without understanding your value to Him. And, and not, not just on paper. Well, He doesn't want you to go to hell, so, so that's your value. That's why He died. If you think that's why He died, you're missing the whole point. The Father sent His only Son out of His love for us 
because of the relationship that was stolen from him. He said we, the, the Holy Spirit sends this wisdom, sends this revelation so the eyes of our hearts, so our hearts literally can be enlightened. And I love the next four words. I have them underlined in my Bible and highlighted. That you may know. See, God has no intention of us not being fully confident in him. Sometimes we may have to walk in faith, which feels shaky. It may feel like it's, the confidence is a little shaky there, but that's, that's because of our faith. He said that you may know, that you may have confidence in who he is. Let's finish that, that verse. Again, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead. See, God just gave the Baptist preacher right here a beautiful three-point outline. And I, I probably have used it many times. That you may know. That you may know his immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. That we may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? That we may know what the hope is in which we are called. See, his love is so we can know. Not so we can know when we're in heaven. So we can know right now. We can know that hope. We can know that hope to which we are called. <laughs> I've had so many conversations with people about God's calling on their lives. And this is a process, by the way. Nobody steps into this and, bing, light goes on, I know exactly the path and everything else. It doesn't work that way. Because God, through the process, wants to build faith. So he brings us on this walk. And this walk is filled with taking little steps of obedient faith. And then those steps get bigger. And those steps get bigger. And those steps get bigger. And all of a sudden you're selling your house. You're selling everything you have to follow what God has told you to do. Right, Corey? Right, Beth? But then you find yourself in the same spot. Where it's building faith. Where it's that next step. See, is God trying to get us from point A to point B? No. He could do that in a second. He did that with Philip. When Philip needed to go and be on the road to Emmaus, he just got him there. Blink of an eye. He's not trying to get us from point A to point B physically. 
He's not trying to get his bride or his church to be from point A to point B physically. He's trying to take us through each point of faith, trusting him, jumping off that cliff, trusting, having faith in what he has said, having faith in in the precepts that he put in his word. See, the knowledge of his word is not is not bad. Obviously not. It's, it's his word. But the power of it comes in our lives when we stand in agreement with it. By the way, Ten Commandments has no hold on my life if I don't engage with it except judgment. Accept judgment. But when I live my life walking in faith with Him, and He shows me how to live my life in His Word, shows me that He wants to have relationship with me, speak with me, and I realize that He, through the Holy Spirit, will give his wisdom, will give his revelation. I engage with that. I trust in that. I walk in that in faith. His faith, or my faith, is rewarded by him taking me further. When I do that, it becomes way more than knowledge. Way more than knowledge. Way more than me teaching some Bible class on the book of Ephesians. And how they were a historic church. And how they lost their passion. And they this and they that. And, and, and then you get to chapter 6. And it shows how you can, you can put on this armor and, and fight this, this stuff that we can't see. Or I can look at this book as his breathing word. And I could say in relationship with him, I've opened myself up for him to send his Holy Spirit to speak wisdom, to speak revelation. So then when I take those steps, I could take those steps in confidence. I could take those steps knowing that it is him. Not because some preacher is telling me to do it, by the way. Do you know that was never supposed to be the case? Again, that's some preacher who, who brought his little control knob along, started leading other people, and felt like, well, if I can control these people here, then they won't do so bad. Missing the whole point. See, the bride is not supposed to be a bunch of factions split up into different denominations that that hold on to what they believe because it separates them from everybody else. That is what pastors have done. That is what church leaders have done. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, shame on them. And not all of them. (laughs) Thank the Lord, not all of them. But do you know what a pastor's job is? Do you know what a Bible teacher's job is? It's to show you how you 
can walk through those same doors of relationship having your own personal relationship. Why? Because God is going to tell you things in your spirit that He will, will not tell me. If I was leading this church with that, with my hand on the control knob, then this church would not be what God wants it to be. And it's no different with the bride in full. That's why times are changing. And I know for those who have lived decades and decades, like myself, it feels like things don't change. But believe me, they're about to. These next three years will change the world. These next three years will change the world. They will change the bride. You don't have to believe me. I know these guys do here, but online, you don't have to believe me. You'll see it whether you believe it or not. Because it's time. It's time for him to claim his prize. The prize that he gained through death. What is that? It's his bride. It's his readied bride. His bride that is not only in love with him, but in love with each other. This unified bride that doesn't look to each other, doesn't look to pastors, but looks to him. See, when people ask me, if you want to know my position in the bride, go ask Jesus. I don't have to tell it to you. Same with you. Your position in the bride. Do you know we all have positions in the bride? We all have perfect places that he wants us to be. None greater than the other. None any less than the other. But we're not the ones that decide that. Me as pastor, I'm not the one that decides that. Our elder team, they're not the ones that decide that. Jesus does. He's the leader of them all. And if you're not going to him and building relationship with him personally, directly through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're missing your peace. And by the way, the bride's missing your peace as well. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. (laughs) What a statement. Underline that. Because that is what's coming these next three years. These next three years, really, it started, I can't remember, I wrote it in my journal, but the Lord said the three and a half year period started, I want to say September, but I can't remember. Hmm? September 25th. Okay, there, oh, there you go. In that three and a half years, the Lord is going to show the immeasurable greatness of his power 
he will show it for the sake of his bride. He will show it because of his love for his remnant bride. It's nothing to be afraid of, guys. If, if we are keeping our eyes on him, it is nothing to be afraid of. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, which, by the way, is everything. (laughs) That's like the full list. In the human realm, in the spirit realm, Jesus was lifted above all of that, given rule and authority and power over all of that, above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in in the one to come. Not only here on this earth, but... In heaven, his name was lifted above all names. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it all. Okay, and I'm going to go somewhere here for a second. And if I'm confusing, Alexis can come and explain what's not confusing. But the Lord wants you to know his sacrifice. For you to recognize who you are in Christ, you have to understand who he is and what he did. The Father just told it right there. And before I get into this, let me state clearly Clearly, for those online, clearly, Jesus is God. Always has been, always will be. Even though when he came to this earth, he never operated as God. He was tempted to. Satan tempted him to do that. But he never did. He couldn't. And I'll tell you why. Because if he did, he couldn't show us the way. Jesus was not only here to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to give us the opportunity for salvation, but he also was sent here to show us how to have relationship with the Father. It could only be done through him, he said. He and the Father are one. And when we are in him, we are in the Father. He begins to show the the pathway to that relationship. Not justification of sin. Not what we call salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you're saved, done, finished. You get that golden ticket. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about relationship. We're talking about eternity relationship with him. But see, Jesus had to pave a way for us. That means he had to learn faith. The Bible says he learned obedience. What what does that mean? That he learned not to take an extra cookie and he got spanked? No, that's not what it means. 
I mean, some of us need to learn that, but it's not what it means. He learned obedience. What is obedience? Obedience is faith. Faith. Jesus Christ, when He came and He was born, He had to learn by faith who He was. He had to learn by faith that same relationship with the Father. Now the difference is He didn't have sin. Sin's what gets in our way. He didn't have sin that would get in the way. But he still had to grow in his faith. Why, why do you think that it wasn't until he was about 30 years old that his ministry started? I mean, why didn't it start when he was 20? Why didn't it start like David when he was 15? Certainly he, he, he could start like David did. David was 15 years old roughly when he went up against Goliath. Why couldn't Jesus start back then? Well, I mean, the simple answer is the Lord has perfect timing. We don't know the answer to that. But what I can tell you is he had to learn faith just like we do. Because he paved the way for understanding that faith. Now think about this. And this just astounds me. It blows my mind. In him learning faith. That means that he did not answer people by saying, obey me, period. End of story. I am the writer of the law. Believe it or die. (laughs) He didn't do that. But he said, all that my father has spoken to me, I have spoken to you. He learned by faith to speak what the Father was telling him to speak. Why? Because he couldn't have done it as God? Sure he could have. He could have done it as God. He could have been born as a baby and had all the knowledge of a man and and immediately just knew who he was. But you know what that does for us? Nothing. It does nothing in teaching us relationship. Because we cannot look at his life and say, how can you be an example to us if we cannot operate as God here? But see, he never operated as God when he was a human. He never did. He, by faith, trusted his father to do through him what he wanted. And by doing that, he showed us the way. He paved a way for us to have faith. See, I know that I can build a relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus showed me how. He did it. He did it. He he was my example. How do I know That he didn't operate as God when he was here. How do I know that he did not maintain his Godship, if you will, when he was a man in terms of of the, the production of it? Because if he did, the Father would have never had to raise his name above all names. 
it would have already been there. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a reason why the Father did that. There's a reason because of what Jesus had sacrificed, not just on the cross, but what he had sacrificed in becoming a man in the first place. He sacrificed the fact that he would toil in this life to learn faith. That's what the Lord says here. He says, He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. See, the Father lifted up his name higher than any other name. And yet, before Jesus became a man, it said that he was equal with the Father. He found it not sin to be equal with God. But he chose, he chose to be a servant. That was his choice. Why did he choose that? So that we might have life? Yes. But he didn't need... That's, that's only a portion of the reason. He chose to do it that way because he could show us the pathway to relationship with the Father and Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, the very thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden, the very thing that God created us for in the first place. That's what He wants. That's why Jesus paid the price that He did. Alexis, come on up. Oh, I love Ephesians. My heart is, is overwhelmed with the truth of Ephesians. Quick clarification. The three and a half years that he's speaking of, we, we know it here and many obviously online know it, but he is not speaking about the rapture. He's not speaking about the rapture. He's speaking about the readiness of the bride. Um, I just, I'm going to close in prayer and... Uh, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit works in the message and in the truth that he wants to give in a, in a morning because there are so many similarities to this message and what the women, what we spoke about from John chapter 9 in the ladies' class um, downstairs. And I think I'm going to take this off because it continues to make that noise. Um, but this, this choice, this idea of choice, choosing to believe the exchange, back and forth, conversational, real-time, actual relationship with the Lord versus learning from his word and, and choosing to walk in his precepts is, um, is, is the ultimate dividing line in the bride. And, um, man, it's just, I just desire that so much for, for people to just awaken to it. And before we close in prayer, I, I want to give you uh, a testimony, a brief testimony of an example of the realness of God 
and I shared this with the ladies, and I said, I said, if it's okay, I, I'm going to be sharing it again, so it'll be twice. But after we had the celebration for life um, of Greg's father that passed away a few weeks ago now, that night uh, I realized about a day and a half later or so that I had that that next day was our anniversary, and um, I had lost my wedding rings, and I realized that I lost them about a day and a half later, and I retraced every step I could possibly think of and just, I, I just was very distraught, but just prayed and trusted that the Lord would um, just reveal it. And I had to surrender and not let myself get, you know, anxious or bent out of shape about it. Well, I had prayed and asked the Lord and I knew that God cared about details. And so I just prayed, Lord, help, help me to find it. And, you know, there were different things that came to my mind and I looked for them well, then, um, when the court team met, we, we went before the Lord, and at the end, it just, it just came to me, and I kind of whispered to Greg, you know, that, that I forgot to ask about um, the rings, and, and just to ask the Lord again, where are the rings? And so we asked a couple of questions, and the Lord told us that um, where they were, that they were not here, that they were at my house and safe. And I had a thought that came to my mind where they could be. And uh, I was just at such peace when he said that. And because we had thought they were here and Ruth and Marty were you know, trying to, you know, talk to everybody they could, try to find them and, and look in every little cubby and area in the kitchen while we were cleaning the night of the, of the funeral. But um, but I, th- I thought of a place. I thought, oh, maybe it was in the side of my thermos. So I went home, and the next morning, we were, it was so late that night. The next morning, I went and looked in the little pouch of the thermos, and they were not there. And that morning, I was going to see a friend whose husband is um, is dying. And I, I just said, Lord, I just want to just ask you again. I surrender this before you, but I just want to ask you again. It wasn't in the thermos that I thought. I know you said it's safe somewhere in this house, but I have looked everywhere I could possibly look. And I really would just love, I know it seems silly, Lord, but I just would love to wear these rings to, to visit my friend. And, um, and so got dressed, went, didn't have the rings on. When I got to the house and started the visit, I excused myself to use the ladies of the bathroom. And suddenly, as I entered the bathroom, I felt a jingle in my pocket. <laughs> And I reached into the pocket of the vest I was wearing and pulled my rings out. I'm telling you, when I put this outer vest on at home, I, I mean, I always, you know, like girls do, you kind of push down and I felt nothing in the pockets. But in that moment, I just, I was so flooded with emotion of so many things. Thank you, Lord, directly answering what seemed like a trivial prayer that I did get to wear my rings on that visit. Thank you, Lord, that you care when we ask you where to find something that's precious. I, I felt that it was um, just an opportunity to, for the enemy to discourage when I lost my rings literally on, on my anniversary. And he just, he cared. And they showed up exactly, uh, they were, obviously, right where he said. They were in our house. They were safe. I don't know how they got into the pocket of that particular vest. I have no recollection of ever even touching the vest, although I may have. But my point is, that's an example of a conversational relationship with the Lord. There are principles 
in the word of God that say, when you seek me, you'll find me. When you do this, you'll do that. Uh, just like Greg said, you, you can live by the Ten Commandments, but they have no actual effect on the power that you walk in in your life, except judgment, apart from the Holy Spirit and that ability to have an exchange. I don't know about you. I, I pray that this is true for you, but I just talk to the Lord all day long about everything. I want everything on my mind to be him. I want what comes out of my mouth to be him. doesn't always work that way. That's what surrender is about. Asking for forgiveness. Keep a short account. Agree with your adversary quickly. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he'll, he'll be faithful and just. He'll forgive us and cleanse us. But I want this constant. I never even understood what praying without ceasing meant. I thought that was surely for people that didn't have jobs and could just be on their knees all day. You know, like, how, how does this work? But it's, it's this fellowship. It's this relational talking to the Lord, praying. He cares. He cares about global things, global leaders. He cares about famines, pestilence. But he also cares about where your wedding rings are when it's dear to your heart and when it matters to you. He bottles every tear. That is the God, the great, the great I am. And, and yet the, the intimate one who, who makes us fearfully and wonderfully, as Psalm 139 says. So that was just another example. And such an, and I, as I was going into Friday night, even before we went before the Lord in that particular setting, I just said to the Lord, God, I just, I could, I just need your encouragement. I would love to have just be encouraged. I had no idea how much it would encourage me. Honestly, it's always encouraging just to go before him. Because when you magnify like a magnifying glass, when you make large who God is, you automatically are just encouraged and blessed because you recognize that in that magnified state, he is in control of all things and he is great and he's got us. But then he'll go even further and encourage and answer prayers. So we have to walk in that belief and in that power and that greatness that Ephesians verses talks about. I hope you'll dissect those and listen to that again um, this was so impactful uh, for your life right now, today, for your life this afternoon, for what we are about to face in this world, in this nation. God is doing great and mighty things around us, but he wants us to be in fellowship with him. He doesn't want us relying on any kind of intellect to extract precepts based on what we can comprehend. Um, how... how how arrogant to think that because it automatically then makes those who can't grasp the word of God intellectually or who are having have learning disabilities. It makes them disadvantaged. And that's not that's not the God. He's no respecter of persons. So even the premise of, the, of that philosophy is so flawed. God is he just wants that real exchange and he wants us to go to him like a child. Not with our stuff that we think we know, hoping that he'll just put his stamp of agreement on it. But empty-handed, Daddy, why does the sun rise every morning? I mean, that kind of simplicity as a child. Go to him. He'll give you the deep secrets and all spiritual blessings. But not when we approach him thinking we've already got it all figured out. That is what he needs, surrender and not pride. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you, God, today for this powerful word from Ephesians that the depth of it wasn't even wasn't even touched upon 
because it's just that layered with rich, living, breathing truth for us. But God, I thank you. I thank you for what was unpacked in this short time together. God, I pray. I do pray, as Jenna prayed right before Greg came up, that the soil of our hearts would be cultivated with a surrender, with a submission, a submitting ourselves to you. That we would be able to receive the soil deep down and then watered with your Holy Spirit. That, oh, the fruit that would grow from what you will do when your word is planted deep within us. God, I just pray that for every time this is listened to, that that none of your words would fall to the ground. And we know your word doesn't return void. So I praise you, God. I praise you for the rich truth that you give us. Thank you for your word. God, we love it. Not as a book of precepts only, but because it is you. It is you that we get to just have this real-time revelation in when we spend time in this word. God, I just thank you. My heart is overflowing with gratefulness for who you are. And I just pray all of these things, Lord, upon everyone listening. In Jesus' name, amen.